Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable, Beth Stedman. And I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson. And this is a podcast for writers who read, readers who write, and, and everyone, everyone who, who loves, loves words. So today we are excited to start a new little series, you know, because we like to pick a topic and then stick with it for a few weeks. Um, So we are kind of jumping into talking about monsters and kind of all their forms and different elements of monster stories or creepy stories or horror, but in a broader sense. I mean, we've, we'd like to dive into different genres. We've talked about mystery in the past. We've talked about romance. We've talked about thrillers. So now we're kind of looking at monster stories. Um, And so today we're going to talk a little bit about kind of Save the Cat Writes a Novel has different sorts of genres that they kind of address that aren't the genres you would typically think of. Um, But one of them that they talk about is Monster in the House. And a Monster in the House story is a story that has a monster, some creepy evil, (laughs) who has a reason for what they're doing. They have to have a purpose. It has a house, but that is used broadly. It might not be an actual house. It is can be a town or one family or um, anything like that, that kind of narrows the scope of who the monster is after and creates an environment that the hero or your protagonist can't get out of. They can't just like get in the car and leave. They have to have restriction on them for a monster in the house story. Um, Otherwise you might have a different type of story and that's fine too, but Monster in the House story has to have restriction. And then the other criteria that Jessica Brody gives um, for this is a sin. Like there has to be a sin committed, a transgression committed that either brings the monster into being or angers the monster or sets them off on the path of doing what they're doing to the good guy um, or transgresses on the monster's territory, whatever it is. Yeah. Like the, the sin is essentially what makes the reader think like, oh, this could happen to me, um, or makes them step back and think about like, oh, who's really the monster here? Um, Frankenstein is a great example of a sin, a a monster and house story with a sin. Like we have the monster, we have Dr. Frankenstein who creates the monster. Um, and in like that sin is essentially him exploring science to a point that he shouldn't be. And then the house kind of is that the monster only goes after his friends and family. Like, and you also get this with Jurassic Park, which we talked about earlier this year. So you can go back and listen to that episode, but you have a house, you have this Island contained, you have these monsters, the dinosaurs, and you have a sin, like bringing these monsters, these dinosaurs to life. Hubris. Um, Yes, hubris for sure. And greed combined. Yes, yes. And that book is heavy on the sin. And the sin usually often goes along with the theme. It has to do with like, here's what the theme is. And this is going to be the the author kind of hitting you over the head with it, at least in the case of Jurassic Park. Well, and it it doesn't always have to be like a moral tale. It could also be like, we need to like for instance get out the movie the sin is he does not listen to his friend his friend tells him not to go and then at each point there are instinctual things that he should be listening to himself that says get out like everyone is telling him to get out but he has reasons to stay and i think recognizing that it 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 can be something like that that feels yeah. like it's not moral But it's still a warning of sorts, right? right? Like, yeah, there's this like warning to it that makes it applicable to the reader. 
Absolutely. Well, and it's interesting because I just finished rereading Mexican Gothic and it is absolutely another great example. It's definitely a monster, monster in the house. house. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we could argue about what the sin is, but I do mm-hmm. think that that she she does not like she always puts her head down and like meets things head on and she is told multiple times by a character who actually cares about her to leave like he keeps telling her to leave and I think that recognizing that there's sometimes we don't have to always rush on through. Like sometimes we can disengage and, and find a different way to do something. <laughs> and I, I think that's part of the lesson in it because she has to then get, she has to keep going and keep like just gritting her way on through. Yeah. Well, and sometimes the sin is also um, something someone else commits, not the protagonist. And, and I think you yeah. get a little of that in Mexican Gothic with, <laughs> what's his name? The... Yes, with uh, Howard Doyle. Like, yeah, like the, he... And, essentially wants to live eternally at the cost of his family and like that is a a sin he commits on his family essentially that then has these ramifications and brings about these horrible horrible things for other people absolutely (laughs) and and his son as well and it is interesting because sometimes there is that punishment Yes. of the sinner that happens um i i don't know if it's in every single sure. story um and it may not be but i i was reading blake schneider's version of it um from the screenplay side and it said that often when you see people being punished they're being punished for that sin like whatever yeah. the sin is and that's why we see nedry in jurassic park and it's yes it's horrible it's it is you sit there and you're like but you're kind of glad when the bag i guess i mean you're glad he gets his comeuppance but it's in like one of those really awkward especially in the in the novel you're like Mm -hmm. okay okay we can cut we can cut yes he's been punished but it is interesting especially in the book like there is punishment for everyone who transgresses in the jurassic park book like no one gets out alive if they committed a sin yeah And this, I think this is a really interesting story type. Like it's not a story type that I read a ton of, but it's fascinating in just how, how much it connects with readers or like how engaging it can be. I mean, it's kind of one of the oldest, like these are the ghost stories you tell around the campfire, Mm -hmm. right? Like these are um, old, old, old type story types, you know, like Like, Minotaur and, you know, like all of that is like super, um, you know, like these are stories that have been around for a really long time or a story type that's been around for a really long time. Well, like, don't forget to brush your teeth because someone's <laughs> gonna like. Yes. But it is. It's that cautionary tale of like, if you don't do this, you're going to awaken this. Yeah. It's primal. It it really yes. primal's taps, a good word for it. It taps into that side of ourselves that just can you know awakens that fight or flight that really yeah. can paralyze you yes. um even when you're reading it you're like I oh yes like- I was so freaked out when I read Mexican Gothic yeah. like Brian was like it does not seem like you're enjoying this book why are you reading it and I'm like no it's so good but yeah. ah, I like need to set it aside I can't do it I'm so terrified I can't read it at night yes. but, but absolutely like and I have to be in the mood for it but yes there there is something about just being in that place of just being able to enjoy the experience being in that place where you know it's not real like where you know like you can put the book down um and I I think 
writers who can do that well of keeping that tension, that back and forth without like having you tip over the edge yeah. or without letting you go too much. It's, yeah. It is this balance that is incredible, like where it just ramps up over time. <laughs> and by the end, you're just like, get out, get out, get out. These are page turners and they make readers yeah. feel things. I mean, this is how Stephen King made fortune, right? Like, I mean, Absolutely. so many of his novels are Monster the Nights shining. novels. Yes. yes. Shining is an excellent example. <laughs> yeah. And especially when it's a character that either makes a mistake as you said that you can relate to or is did not make the mistake yeah you it's kind are of innocent so, yeah you're so on their side and so like connected yeah. with their experience you're standing in their shoes feeling their fear and it does really quickly and emotionally bond you to that person that you're you're reading through their story yeah. and you're right in their corner. Um, it's really, it can really get that emotional punch. Yeah, these are intense stories. And I, that makes me think too, like I forgot to mention this before, but the sin can also be accidental. Like yeah. it can be something that that someone commits unintentionally. And so yeah. then those are stories also that kind of really pull you in because you're like, oh, this is like, right. ah. <laughs> I think there's something so human about us doing something and not seeing the consequences, yes. like not seeing the ripple. Absolutely. Until it's too late. Yeah. And those tap into, I mean, they tap into our fears. But they yes. also tap into our experience that we're yes. like, oh, I've been there. We're like, I didn't know that that was going to cause this thing to blow up, but it totally did. And I totally ended up like feeling horrible. And I had no idea it was going to happen at the beginning of this thing. Yes. And recognizing that that's why these stories kind of resonate and connect and why we can't put them down, why we just yeah. have to get to the end and see are they going to, are they going to pay? Are they going to yeah, be able to escape? Yeah. And, and making that place, whatever it is, like have that feeling of there is like, it's inevitable that they cannot escape. Like you accept that there is not a thing. There's not an easy do. way out. I think creating that type of environment that, that naturally feels claustrophobic, that feels like the situation is unavoidable yeah. um we all feel trapped yeah. sometimes and it really taps into that feeling of feeling trapped and uh, not all monster in the house stories end well but yeah. a lot of them do end up with the character you're rooting for escaping and there is something yeah. kind of like we like that right like we like yes. to know we want to hope that in our own fear, we can get out from under something or in our own trapped feeling, we can get away. And so there's something almost therapeutic, I think about mm -hmm. feeling that fear in a book or a story that is not real, that you can step away from, but still that you can engage in and have that fight or flight response. And then seeing that character get out and seeing that character survive or, or whatever, like like I said, not all of them do that, but I think Absolutely. that the ones that do are often stronger, like in a lot of ways, because they give that reader the, the experience, that hope of like, oh, if like this character should get, get out of something so horrible or, or so terrible, like maybe I can get out of yes. this much smaller thing that I'm dealing with. They at least feel more satisfying, like as yeah. an audience member or a yes. reader, when there's not like that moment at the end of catharsis of... Yes. 
we can take a breath. And sometimes they kind of, sometimes the stories fail in that it is a breathing, I can breathe moment, but you don't know yet. Like you you still, they play with the uncertainty a little bit too long, I think. Mm -hmm. And those aren't as satisfying to me because I'm like still reading. Yeah, you're like, like, wait. (sighs) I'm like, are they really safe or are they not? I think think the clarity of when they're locked in and when they're locked, when they get out, like, yes, it needs to feel different. However they signal it, your reader should be able to take that breath and be like, even, even in point of uncertainty, like again, Mexican Gothic is a great example of it because at the end there is some uncertainty, but it's, she does this great line of letting us know where the uncertainty is and where the certainty is. And she threads that needle so well that we're like, we are breathing a sigh of relief, even though we know that there's, that the future is uncertain. But here in the now. That's such a great point. Like, and I think that, yeah, you need that distinctive moment. And then you can, like, after that distinctive moment, if you want to place some doubt, like, like Jurassic Park is another example of this, right? Like you have this distinctive moment, they get out, they're not on the island anymore, they're safe. But then there's this little hint of like, oh, maybe the design dinosaurs got out too. (laughs) You can give people like after that moment of the breath, then it can be really fun to play with like, oh, maybe the monster is still alive or maybe this is going to come back around and do this to someone else. But you want your hero, the whoever it is that the the reader is rooting for, like when they have this moment. And I, I think that's such a great point that sometimes if you don't give that moment enough weight, or you continue the uncertainty right through that moment, yes. you lose something and it isn't as satisfying for the reader. The, I'm trying to think of what films did that poorly. And I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. I'm sure that there are some. And there, I think- I've definitely read things that did that too, or it was just too vague. Um, but I have the yeah. same problem. I can't think of any of them right when now. When you're still in that, like I can, I can tell in my brain that my yes. brain is still stimulated in that yes. place that hasn't been able to switch off, which if it's signaled appropriately, it usually does. And yes. I think recognizing that when you're writing something, you are connecting with people on that emotional and psychological yeah. level. And so pay attention to like what that does to your reader so that you can hit kind of your marks in terms of how they're feeling at a given point in time. Like, are they being revved up far too quickly? Because it should often, I mean, there are some, like, I think the house of salt and sorrows, Mm -hmm. I think that starts in kind of in the middle of things. Yes. But usually they kind of set it up. And you they get sort of that, ease in. You get like right. a slowly growing creepiness. Like, yeah. Yes. Of, like you have the starting image that like gives you, you're like, it, it may give you a pause. Yeah. Like you might be like, oh, this isn't going to end well. <laughs> or yeah. it's going to start well at least. <laughs> but then they kind of like lull you in a little mm-hmm. bit. Like you don't go from zero to 60. Like yes. it is a progression that happens over time and it dials up and up yes. and up and up and up until like it gets so excruciating and then you have the relief <laughs> I mean and that's true with any story right like you want your stakes yes. to be always increasing Absolutely. and but I think it is true like especially in a monster in the house like it does work best when they when they grow slowly I mean think of the shining too like it's not like they yep. walk into the, the hotel <laughs> and all of a sudden they're like seeing all these there's all the blood like, yes exactly <laughs> you know like that wouldn't work it wouldn't be as believable like you have to 
like by easing into it, you increase yeah. the believability um, and you kind of get your reader to, oh, something's weird here. Okay. Oh, this isn't normal. Oh, wait, this is really not, you know, like you kind of ease them into it. And it even makes it more believable when that threshold is crossed where they yes. can't get out Yes, for them to have engaged that long. There's a great video, actually, Jordan Peele, the director of Get Out, is talking about all the ways they played with that character to make the audience feel like he logically would stay. Like, what is his why? Yeah. And how is he still there? Even though we're screaming at him to get out, yes. he has to have a reason. Like, yes. If not, we're just yelling at him and being like, yes. or you should have left. But we see like the way he did it is so subtle. There's so many reasons why he stays and we see why we in the dialogue, it's there. And then the door shuts, like then the threshold is, is crossed, crossed and it's like, they can't get out. But even like at the shining, like the weird stuff slowly happens over time. And by the time that it's like, you know, I'll work in no play. <laughs> like you you get to that point that you're like oh crap and nothing can be done and I think making that believable making it everyone have that logical reason of why they're there why they're engaging with it so that from an audience standpoint we feel with them. We don't lose. Yes. We're not lost in the like, oh, they're just stupid. Yes. We're, we're still like, oh my gosh, I can see why they're doing it, but leave. Let's go. <laughs> and sometimes even keeping us a little in the dark of what's happening. Like, yeah, sometimes that dramatic irony can be really effective. But when we don't know, like when we just have that, oh, it's the hint that unsettled of unsettled feeling. Like, yes. Like nothing crazy has happened, but it's just something does not feel right. But when yeah. we logically would stay too, we're like, oh. Well, and that's Mexican Gothic too, right? Absolutely. Like you just get this like hint of, uh, and, it, and it's so well done in her word choice and, and all of that where the similes and things she's using are a little off, a little creepy, oh. and you just get this sense of unease, but you don't, but nothing's yeah. actually gone wrong or done, you know, like, so you get why she would stay, it, at least initially. It's, it's that subtlety that the dreams that kind yes. of, but we've all had creepy dreams. Yeah. And you dismiss so, them, right? So you can understand yeah. that her dismissing them. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I like the almost slow and steady that we don't see slow and steady changes within ourselves. And so when it's a slow and steady character change, we all of a sudden are like, wait, wait, like what's happening? Like, why is she not doing what she normally? And that subtlety that just does that stair step approach is so effective. It's funny because there's actually like a toy story, like cartoon that does it. And where one of the characters actually walks through, I'll link it in. It's really kind of funny. It's like toy story of terror or something. And he actually like walks through the storylines. There's a character who does, and it's, it's really effective. (laughs) And it has all the feelings of all of that, but it's with toys and a creature. If you're looking to study it in miniature, but I'm trying to think, it's not something that I, I watch a lot of films yeah. of it. Alien is one, Jaws, Predator, like there mm-hmm. are so many 
monster films that fit within this. And what's cool, I'll link in an article where they call out several films like arachnophobia that doesn't do it well in terms of like keeping it confined. Yeah. Um, and also the the little spiders aren't as scary. <laughs> but I don't know, I'm terrified of spiders. So. Yes. <laughs> but feasibly people could leave. Yes. And yes. so it cuts the tension. And that film has always felt weird to me because it does feel hokey, like mm. in a way, like the emotion feels disconnected a little yeah. bit. Well, and that's what you get when you don't get a good reason for a character staying. Yes. Um, you get this kind of disconnect and this like, yeah, even if an audience or a reader might not know why, they won't feel yes. what you want them to feel. The same amount of kind of tension mm. and suspense and fear and yeah. like those the primal urge to to run right. it just kind of feels watered down yes and I think with the monster as well like if the monster isn't frightening in some way like and doesn't have a reason either like that yeah. can also feel a little bit like absolutely unbelievable or like why is this <laughs> well and when you talk about Frankenstein mm -hmm. I think I'm on the side of the monster in that film and uh, in that oh, book. Sure. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it actually makes us look at it yeah. in a unique way. Well, um, and a and lot of really great monster in the house stories will do that, where it forces you to be like, oh, who is the monster here? Right. Um, and that's kind of the advantage of a really good sin. We'll do that for you. Absolutely. I think having not just a a good sin and a great monster, but having something that could be done in order to appease or uh -huh. to like that it can be really compelling because then you have your character who has to make a choice mm -hmm. and I think there could be interesting things to play with the variables and complexities of why they make a choice or yeah. you know, one choice over another uh, you can do a lot of playing with that and then change really who your character is by the actions that they choose yeah. um, or even by trying to appease or by trying to find a way to kind of get around that that's not just trying to get out like trying to connect with the monster potentially and I don't know so have you ever seen the film Cabin in the Woods no um, it, it's not I'm not saying it's the greatest film but what I find interesting about it is actually it's a meta monster where the first monster in the house is these kids in a cabin that's basically there's a reason why they're there they have to commit a sin in order for the monster to be released but then we find out that the people who are controlling that they have committed a sin mm -hmm. and it then um creates another monster it has the house. these like layers so it's like a layer yeah. of monster in the house that's and interesting I, I just think that's kind of a interesting way of looking at it can be done in different ways like you know as you were saying like the house doesn't have to be a house it could yeah. be a dinosaur park it could be in jaws like that beach on sure. a holiday weekend and the mayor isn't willing to close the beach right there you can have fun with it and mm -hmm. sometimes when it's outside in the light that can be fun too because you have that like discordant feeling of everything feels like it should be bright and happy yes. and I feel so it's that contrast right, right? Like, yeah 
I think there's a, a scene from I Know What You Did Last Summer that does that well, where it's like, it feels like it should be this happy moment in the sun. And it's not. <laughs> and playing with what all of that looks like and feels like, those natural inclinations with ourselves can create, if you don't do it too much, it can create a good kind of discordance yes. where again we're like we need to get to the end because this is so uncomfortable to sit here and, yeah. and feel horrified at what we're about to witness these are the kind of books that if i stop start them i can't dnf because Absolutely. i like have to know what will happen otherwise i will be thinking about it and freaking out about it and i'll assume the worst <laughs> that's, that's exactly like and and i have to do so as quickly as possible Absolutely. Like, I, like these are the ones i'll stay up until 3 a.m reading because i just have to know Absolutely. That's what I did with Mexican Gothic. <laughs> I read it in one too. day. <laughs> Me too. Like, it's, it's one that I can't be in the middle of. Yes. And I'm actually just exactly. about to read um, one. It's called um, it's called The Death of Jane Lawrence. So I'm about to pick it up, but I know I'm going to have to like dedicate all my time <laughs> to it. So I'm like, okay, yeah. we need to wait. We can need to wait until... <laughs> until I'm in that space that I can actually like do a it. weekend read. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> when I can just give all day to it. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing with Jurassic Park though is one that yes. I I could not when I put it down like the raptors were in my dreams. <laughs> it was very effective. <laughs> if you need a very effective visceral. Yeah I could um, put that one down at the beginning but once you go to the halfway mark then I was like uh-uh. <laughs> What's happen? That's exactly like once the dinosaurs are out there you're like yeah. let's get through. All right well these are clearly very fun stories to play with and we yeah. hope that you will play with some monster in the house and that you'll join us um in the next couple of weeks as we talk about some other specific creepy elements and specific types of monsters and things like that Absolutely. yeah we hope you enjoyed this episode if you did leave us a review that helps other people find us come follow us on instagram we hang out there and we'll give more um monster in the house-ish tips <laughs> this week and yeah keep reading keep writing keep putting your work out into the world mm -hmm.